Pubcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm somebody who's been there before, who's experienced a lot of the pain that folks who are listening have experienced. Um, and I'm just trying to take you know, the things that I've dealt with in my own life and share those with other folks in, in hopes of helping them find healing. Welcome to the Liberated Healer Podcast, where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality, energetic healing, and everything in between and beyond. Take an adventure on a shooting star with your hosts, Gina, and offering their wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. Hi, everybody. Gina Cavalier here with the Liberated Healer Podcast, and today we have Brian Satcha on, and he wrote a book called Get Out of Your Head. I have it right here. It's lovely. Nice to meet you, Brian. Hello. Nice to meet you, Gina. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, I think we're going to have a good conversation. Oh, yes. We try. <laughs> so um, let's just hear a little bit about your story and background and how you got to writing this book. And I really felt it was very great, um, really easy to read, but, you know, complex storylines. But, you know, I, I loved hearing about your story and what kind of what your path was. So let's just hear a little bit about how you got into this. Thanks. Yeah. So I probably have to go back in time a little bit. So my story, my history, right, was basically in high school and college, I dealt a lot with anxiety and depression. I just fought that for many, many years, right? It was sort of spending a lot of hours every day just in the depths of my mind, not really knowing what I was dealing with, right? I, I talk about in my first book, um, having dealt with some panic attacks and, and how unsettling that can be to somebody who has no idea what those things are, right? It's like if you have a panic attack out of nowhere, you're not informed as to what they are. You might think you're dying. You might think you're having uh, a heart attack, something similar. So for me early on, you know, th those panic attacks were calls to this path, right? We talked a little bit off stage about um, following some sort of like divine intervention, divine guidance, whatever it is. We, we can put any name that we want on it, right? But for me, it was sort of just like listening to what is happening in my life and sort of lit, like got, letting whatever forces or whatever nature or whatever, whatever label we want to put on it, just following that. Right. So it was like, I, you can only go so long with dealing with anxiety, depression, whatever it may be and pushing it down before you get to the point where you're like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Right. Things are starting to fester inside of me. This problem is getting worse. I, I might be making it worse because I'm not addressing it and so on and so forth. So basically if I accelerate the timeline, I spent about 10 years you know, in therapy, reading journal articles, reading books, trying to find as much information as I could about mental health, and then also taking some of the strategies that I had learned across all those different domains, distilling them down and saying to myself, okay, I'm about to go do something that makes me anxious. Let me bring one of those strategies with me and see if it works. And then I'll try it out, you know, each one of those a few times. If, if I get to the point where each of those strategies doesn't work, I'm going to drop it. Um, we'll go on to the next one, right? So I started start sort of started to put together what I would call like a mental health toolkit, right? Just strategies and tactics that I felt worked for me. Eventually, I got to the point um, where I had enough content on the anxiety side that I, 
I just sort of out of nowhere, I didn't have a platform. I didn't have a brand or anything at the time. I was like, I'm going to write a book on overcoming and managing anxiety. And so that was my first book, which is Get Out of Your Head, Volume 1. Um, the subtitle there is A Toolkit for Living with and Overcoming Anxiety. Um, and then fast forward another few years, I had fallen into a depressive episode that lasted, you know, a little bit over a year. And it was one of those things where, uh, again, following that sort of divine presence or whatever we want to call it, right? The universe, God, something, something inside of me. It was like, I was like, okay, I'm on this path now. I'm, I'm trying to help folks with their mental health, right? Because I've been down this, this journey before and I feel like I have some insights that I can share with the world. And shortly, you know, it was right around the time that I was actually publishing the first book, I fell into this depressive episode. And some of it was a little bit of like, um, like a heat check, if you will, right? I was like, I was sort of, I was 28 at the time when I published that first book. And I was a little, I think I got, had gotten a little bit over my skis. You know, it was like, I said to myself, I published this book. I got it all figured out. I'm doing great. So on and so forth. The next thing I know, I'm like in the throes of this depressive episode. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I have been humbled. And I have no idea, you know, I had no idea how to deal with this specific subject. And so about a year, you know, going through that battle for about a year, um, I eventually got back to the mindset of saying like, okay, you know, I, I had originally said, I published this book on anxiety. I'm going to share it with the world. I'm going to try to help people in their mental health journeys and with their anxiety. And I, you know, at that time, I, my mindset was kind of like, and I'm done. You know, I did what I needed to do. Right. And then during this depressive episode and, you know, the, the humbling that came with it, it really hit me. It was like, dude, you are not done, man. Like you have a lot more work to do on yourself. You have a lot more work to do on your own journey. And then you have a lot more that you should, you could share with other people. So the book that you have in your hands, which is get out of your head, volume two, navigating the abyss of depression is what came out of that depressive episode. It was kind of applying the same mindset of saying, I'm taking different ideas. I'm taking different strategies, trying to apply them to the, the, I don't know, the misery that I was going through, right. And seeing which ones worked for me. And then, you know, I think, especially with this second battle in the second book, I think the key word is sort of a humbling, right? It was like, I didn't know what I was about to go through. And it was really, really painful. And um, I come to the table now with a little bit more humility and saying, I don't have all the answers, um, but I'm going to do my best to help folks that look to me for guidance. And, and that's kind of where we're at now. And that's where the brand, um, what it revolves around is just trying to help people as much as, as, much as I can and kind of to flesh out this piece, right? Is like, I always say on shows, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I am just a dude. I'm a mental health advocate. I'm somebody who's been there before, who's experienced a lot of the pain that folks who are listening have experienced. Um, and I'm just trying to take, you know, the things that I've dealt with in my own life and share those with other folks in, in hopes of helping them find healing. But it's, you know, I, I don't claim to be somebody who, who has all the answers and somebody who's going to replace a doctor or a therapist. I am somebody who can come along and kind of support or, um, I guess, supplement uh, all of those different avenues. Um, yes, that's, I can, uh, you know, concur and understand everything that you're saying. I have had a similar journey and for, you know, especially for when we talk, um, say specifically with like teens or young adults that are kind of in that spiral and um, they're in the kind of abyss, the word that you use is abyss, you know, a lot. And um, they have to kind of find that light that is, oh, this is a journey and I'm going to be okay. That's what like, this show is about. This is what your book is about to understand that. And once you open that light, now you have like a little beacon you can kind of constantly go to 
and there's all these different um, healing techniques, but it might not resonate with, for you. So that's why having people like you or me maybe saying this is what worked for me and that's what worked for me. But the, those are the stages. The first stage is saying there's things out there. I don't have to live like this all my life. That was sort of my first stage was like, wow, really? I could actually, you know, don't have to be in this, you know, and I'm going to go in and out and in and out. But it, it felt like uh, each episode was getting shorter and less intense with the healing that I was incorporating. So again, it doesn't go away for me fully a hundred percent, but I don't go into different several uh, darkening stages. Um, so it sounds like you had this similar episode. And then when you went back into the second book and you had this depressive year, um, can you share maybe what was, was it a trigger? Was it an old wound? I, I mean, what different modality did you use to kind of, you're like, wow, I have to go a little deeper. I mean, you don't have to share a lot, but I'm just wondering what did you uncover that maybe you didn't have a knowledge about in the first round or whatever? Yeah. I, I <clears throat> excuse me. I got a little thing in my throat. Um, I like to be as open as I can, or like as open as makes sense in, in the, uh, the context that like, if I stand up here and I'm like, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, if I say, Hey, you know, I went through this thing and now I'm better and read my book. Like I, I, I don't get that. I wouldn't get that connection piece with a listener. Right. So it's like, it's, I almost feel called to, uh, you know, I almost have a duty to talk about all those specific and scary and unsexy things. Right. It's like, I think we see on social media a lot and, and not everybody, but some accounts, right. It's just like, you know, sort of making light of some of these problems, almost as if like, Hey, depression, it can go away and yada, yada. It's like, dude, some of this stuff is really, really, really hard. I talk about mm -hmm. in the second book, like I, I put it on the table and I'm like, if you are dealing with a major depressive episode or some other form of depression, like this could very well be the battle of your life. And I'm not, I'm not trying to scare folks. I'm just trying to set expectations and be like, give yourself credit for what it is that you're going through. This stuff is really freaking hard. So with that said, you know, talking about my journey a little bit, and I think also I do want to weave in what you had just said in the sense that as we do this work, right, as we get a little bit better with our minds and, and the things that scare us and the things that depress us or send us into these abysses, right? I don't want to give folks, I want to give folks hope and be like, you know, you absolutely can get past what it is that you are dealing with. At the same time, I think, you know, it's sort of a balanced approach of like the, the, the notion that like you will sort of get rid of all anxiety and all depression for the rest of time. I think that's a little unrealistic, right? But also, I think that what we should strive for is what you said, Gina, is, okay, we're in the middle of a battle now, and we're figuring out how long did we stay in that? We put a bunch of strategies, you know, on our plates, and we try those out and whatnot. We try to do some healing. How long is it until our next battle? And how long does that one last? And starting to do that history, really, like keeping a journal or something like that to say to ourselves, okay, like, you know, I feel terrible but right now, but if I look back, I can say that this is my first depressive episode or depressive week, moment, whatever we want to call it, in a year. And you have to give yourself credit for that, right? That is no small feat. That is a really, really big accomplishment. So I think that is part of the work as well, right? Because when we put all these pressures on ourselves to say, I have to not be depressed for the rest of my life, you've created this rule for yourself that then doesn't allow you to win, right? Because you know, life is difficult. There are a lot of things that are going to come your way. And again, I'm not trying to be daunting. It's more just like, 
we all, you know, we, we all grow to a certain age. We're going to lose loved ones. We're going to lose jobs. We're going to have challenges and difficulties in our lives. I don't think that we, you know, it, it's very unrealistic for us to say that none of those things will happen, right? Because this is life. The best thing that we can do is we can meet those situations with grace and understanding and, and sort of a confidence in knowing that we have the tools that will help us get through those situations eventually. So, you know, taking that pressure and some off of these, ourselves. Um, and some of these things that are our triggers happen when we were babies or very young, and they might be just so sort of in there. And when you learn, I, um, for me, I had a safety issue as a child. So sometimes even now, you know, if I feel unsafe all of a sudden, you know, but now as an adult and I have tools, I go, oh, it's okay. I'm safe. I'm actually safe, you know, but that's, that's just an example of it's programmed in me, you know, oh, yeah. but having that yeah. awareness gives you strengths. And yes, I know what this is. I'm actually Definitely. okay. But yeah, so, so that's what it's like. Some of it, you can't, you can't just do an eraser and just, exactly. you know, yeah. Yeah. So setting, setting, you know, some rules up for yourself that allow you to win in time, right? It's, it's not like, Hey, uh, we're never going to experience depression again, or what the heck's going on because I'm experiencing depression. It's like, here's where I am today. Here's where I expect to be, or here's where I would like to get. I have the tools that could possibly bring me there in time. And then again, looking back at our history and saying, I'm doing better overall. The trend line is improving. So going back to the specifics of what I wrote that book about, and then sort of that depressive experience in general, I, I will give all the details just because like, again, it's, I, I want to be as helpful as I can. And I think that dancing around scary subjects, like I just don't know if it really serves anybody, right? So I will talk about that episode. So basically it started in the fall of 2018. I would call it something of a quarter life crisis. I was 28 at the time. And I remember uh, kind of started on this one day. And, and you know, again, I, one of the funny things or ironic things about some of our battles is just the fact that we might not see them coming at all. So I remember, um, you know, there's a, a famous fair. I live in Massachusetts. There's a famous fair in the town sort of where I grew up or where my parents now live. And so my brother has a young, a young son and he was like, you know, do you want to take my son to the fair? So we all went to the fair that day and it was a whirlwind, right? It was like, I used to go to this fair all the time and I have so many memories of growing up and, you know, my parents taking me on the rides, then being in middle school and high school and whatnot. And it's like, you know, just young dumb boys trying to like impress these girls that they're interested in and whatnot. So it was very whirlwindy, right? Just kind of having all these emotions flowing through me because I hadn't been back to the fair in quite some time. And then I took my, my nephew on this ride. And it was, again, one of those like kind of time slows down and you're almost like really freaked out kind of moments. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm taking my nephew on this ride. I feel like I, it was like almost a trip back in time where I'm like, I remember when my mom was in my position and she was taking me on this ride. And I'm like, that doesn't feel long ago. Like I'm having, you know, this quarter life crisis of feeling as if time is just flying by. So that sort of started it. And then I get home that night and, you know, I'm not going to dive too far into this subject, but I will definitely talk about my own struggles with it. So I get home that night, uh, you know, already a little bit freaked out or whatever. And actually like I, um, so there's one piece that I have to add was a bit. So basically I get home, I have an email. It's basically, uh, it ended up being a, a scam email, but at the time I didn't realize it. So it was like, you know, hey, Brian, do, do you recognize this? And I'm like, okay. So I tap on that and it's the email to my, my uh, excuse me, it's the password to my email account. And it's like, by the way, I hacked into your computer. I, you know, I, I have all this um, video from your, you know, your webcam. You're, you know, I have videos of you going to adult websites, yada, yada, yada. If you don't send me a bunch of money, I'm going to send this video off to everybody in your contacts 
in 24 hours. And I am freaking out. I'm like, my life is over. This is so bad. This is horrible, whatever. I take like 10 minutes and I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking about how my life is about to end, right? Socially, right? And eventually I'm like, all right, let me take some 10 minutes. Let me do some deep breathing. Let me figure out what I'm supposed to do here. This dude is not going to send off this video for 24 hours. I have some time. So I, I just kind of thought it over and I was like, let me Google and make sure that this isn't like something that somebody else has seen before. And quickly I found out that it was a scam. I was like, thank, you know, <laughs> thank God. I, you know, that, that really felt as though my life was about to end socially or whatever. So I get upstairs, a very scary day, right? I'm just sort of freaked out overall. I get online, I go to one of my favorite technology news websites. And on the front page, it's like, a, the, you, I think a lot of people have seen that meme of like the cartoon dog sitting in a kitchen and it's just engulfed in flames. And he says like, this is fine, right? And I, I don't know if I had ever seen that before, or maybe I had, and I, I was just drawn to it. So I clicked on it, not even really understanding what the article was about. And, you know, I'm like, I'm on this technology news website. I'm like, what could it possibly be about, you know? It ends up being an article about climate change. And they were like, they had, you know, the, the author had basically just read a report that came out from the government saying that, you know, by in the next however many years, like we were basically destroying the planet and we were going to wipe mankind off the face of the earth. And I'll tell you, if that if those first two events of that day did not send me into that proverbial abyss, this one absolutely did. I I basically didn't sleep that night. I was so I was I was beside myself. I was so freaked out. I was I I I you can, you can tell that I don't even know how to describe it right now. That's the sentiment that was, you know, kind of playing out through my mind. And from there, it was sort of like that sent me into that dark ruminative spiral for a long time. And then from there, it was basically, you know, me just sort of contemplating, you know, what would the ramifications be of climate change? And then I'm thinking about, you know, existence and death and like wiping humanity off the face of the earth, all these really scary, dark topics. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to talk about this stuff just to freak people out. Cause I, I have no idea what the ramifications of climate change are going to be. You know, I don't think any of us do. Um, I think what we, all we could really say is the, the way that we are using or, or possibly um, harming the planet right now is not, is not good. Who knows what the changes will be when those will, will occur and whatnot. But I don't know the way that my mind um, is constructed and, and the fact that I sort of like gravitate to, you know, large existential issues like that, that, hit me, hit me really hard. And so for the next, I don't know, several months, I was just in this really dark place where I was thinking again about existence, death, the afterlife, climate change, all these things for so long. And I, I just couldn't get out of my head. Um, I think some, you know, to add to this story, what, one of the reasons why it was hard for me to get out of my head was I was at, you know, I, I, ha I had been at a previous job where I was going to the office every day. I didn't necessarily love the job, but it, like, at least I got out of the house. I was talking to people and whatnot. And you know, I, I had kind of crafted this narrative for myself where I was like, I don't like this job. Um, I want to work on my, I guess at the time, this, it was my, it was my first book. I was like, I just want to work on my first book. I want to release it. I want to get it out there. Let me find a new job. That's a little bit more flexible, you know, maybe like a remote, like part-time software developer gig. I'll be able to work on my book and I will be happy. Right. And so here I am like with that remote software developer gig, and the project that I was working on was just so disengaging. There was not a lot of work for us to do. It wasn't exciting work. And I know this is a, a privileged take to be able to have, but I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that it wasn't challenging, right? And at that point in my life, I guess I just wasn't resourceful enough. What didn't have the perspective to say like, dude, I know that you're getting paid well to do this, but you got to stop because you're in absolute misery, you know? And I think some of the challenge there too was, so, you know, I was not going to an office or going very infrequently, didn't have a lot of work to do, wasn't surrounded by people. So I think my environment was sort of 
conducive in a bad way to me contemplating these large, scary ideas, right? And then on top of that, there was another piece, which was basically um, the fact that I had said to myself, right? I, I had said, I will be happy when I get this job. And then I got that job and I was so miserable. And that discrepancy was really, really large. So again, all of these forces kind of coming together to create like a confluence that I would then call that depressive episode or, or that feeling of depression. And finally, in that, in that, you know, I guess it, the, the entire episode was around a year, but right, right at the beginning of that. So within the first four months, my grandmother passed away and she was somebody that I was really, really close with. Um, you know, somebody who has touched my life in so many different ways. And that, that also, it just sunk me further. Right. And so again, the word that I use is confluence. It was all these things that came together to just sink me so far. And, you know, I think when you're in that spot, it's, it can be really difficult to get out of your head, to change the way that you're thinking, to, to really just shift your mindset. And sometimes, right. I'm not trying to sit here and say that it's always that simple because depression is a, is, is a really tough um, and sticky condition. You know, it's like, if you have major depressive disorder, that can, that can last a really long time. And I'm not trying to downplay this and say like, oh, you can just change your mind because it's not always that easy. But so anyway, that was what I struggled with. And it was the thoughts associated with all those events and uh, I guess possibilities in my mind that really sunk me. And over the course of those 12 months, I eventually started to say like, dude, I got to figure something out for myself, right? I can't keep living this way all the time. I wish, you know, I, I will say, I wish that I was a little bit more courageous at that time. I think I was still sort of in that, like, I, I think at the time I was still a little bit of a kid, you know, and I said to myself, I'm going to tough this out. I'm going to figure it out. I don't really need to talk to too many people, whatever. I talked to my parents about it. Um, and, you know, my mom is so, so supportive and, and such a great ally um, in some of my mental health battles. My dad is amazing as well. I think he just doesn't relate to this stuff as much as my mother does. But I wish, you know, I wish that I had talked to more um, you know, I wish I went back to, the, to into therapy. I wish I talked to more people who's just honest, uh, more honest with more people. I think that would have accelerated things a little bit faster. So anyway, uh, over the course of that time, I eventually, you know, was like, okay, I'm, if I'm not going to talk to people, uh, or at the very least, I'm not going to try to help myself in that capacity. I'm going to read more books. I'm going to pick up as much information about this disease as I can really educate myself and then see if I can, you know, pull myself out of this condition. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to glamorize it in any way, shape or form, but over 12 to 15 months, I eventually got there. Uh, and again, going back to what you said, Gina, it's like, there are definitely weeks on the calendar. It's, it, it's not like it happens all the time anymore, but there's definitely weeks where I fall back into that state. But I now feel like I have the strategies that allow me to pull myself out of there more frequently. And that was why I felt as though I could write that second book. If I was still in that really, really dark place, it would have been so much harder, but, uh, or I, I guess I wouldn't have felt authentic and I wouldn't have wanted to do it. Um, but so I ended up writing that book and putting it out in at the end of 2021 and all of those stories and then some research and things in between uh, are what fill those pages. So I know I went on a really long rant there, but that is the book in a nutshell. Well, I think a lot of people can relate to that. And of course, in their story, which can go in any different direction, for example, especially, you know, media is just so full of fear and that's what gets headlines and they're trying to make money for their paper. And that's sort of the way that it goes at this point nowadays, you could go uh, say, I'm, I'm an animal advocate. I used to get so depressed if I went on an Instagram or something in the, or Facebook and followed um, a lot. I, you know, of course I followed a lot of different things about elephants and um, rescue dogs or, 
you know, and I literally could all of a sudden just start to feel myself falling into like not being able to help each one and what can I do? And so I, I, whether it's climate change, whatever the subject matter is, that's definitely, you know, what I think a lot of people can easily identify with suffering all of a sudden you just kind of go down there and then you do look at your own life and kind of start to say, well, you know, especially if you have a privileged um, potential life, you know what I mean? And then you start to feel bad for everything and everyone. And then, then you don't, and you're like, I'm, and what am I doing about it? You know? And, um, and then you look at your job maybe. And um, especially if you have something you're not doing that is um, feeding your heart and soul. And then all of a sudden you just feel, you know, we, that you don't have a voice in this world and that you're never going to accomplish anything. And then, so what I'm saying is this picture that sh- should be small about what a beautiful day and is the sunshine, it, shining, shine, shine, how am I feeling about inside my body? All of a sudden it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden you got this big picture of the world and it literally feels like it's sitting on your shoulders, you know? And so yeah. that's exactly kind of what I was feeling with you. And you know, let's just go back with anxiety for a minute because anxiety is such a giant, big topic. And I, I actually appreciate that a lot of people can speak about it now and say, that's, I've had that journey because especially in the corporate world, because you're not allowed to, you're not supposed to let people see you sweat, right? Especially if you're in a meeting. Um, and I used to struggle with that big time because I would have to stand up and maybe do a whole speech or something. And I would get such anxiety and tunnel vision that to the point where I don't even remember what I said and I would go back to my office and people were like, that was a really good, uh, you know, presentation. And I would be like, I don't even remember what I said. I have to go home because I would take, I would feel like I would feel, uh, almost like if all of my energy center just blew open and I was, I would get so tired and I developed chronic fatigue syndrome. I think a lot from different reasons, but the anxiety, you know, it really can make you unhealthy physically too. You know, it's, it, it's just a really awful road. Uh, for example, now too, if um, you have to constantly be aware, like if anxiety starts to come up to me now, you know, I'll look around me and see if there's something I can adjust right away. Sometimes it's like, Oh, don't finish that cup of coffee. You poured, you know, you really have to be, you're like, Nope, I don't need that right now. I'm starting to feel bubbly. I'm starting to feel like a little anxious. It literally like nobody's going to be able to be with you 24 seven. So you really have to be your own constant advocate to monitor where you are at any given moment, you know? And so, um, so that's why I, you know, you dealt a lot with anxiety and you had a little bit of social anxiety too. And you're a smart person, you know, you're a programmer. Um, I felt working with other programmers and people that were, I feel that's a, um, you know, that's not an intelligence to be able to do what you do, you know? And um, I'm wondering if you feel like there's any type of uh, interesting balance between, you know, kind of that type of work and like the organizations in your mind, you know, with ones and zeros and programming, and then also the anxiety thing, because I feel like a lot of programmers I've met have a secret underlying anxiety uh, or a social anxiety that, you know, I'm wondering if you have any context on that. Yeah. So what I would say is this is from my own experience and some people that I've talked to, I, I don't know if I've talked to enough engineers to be like, this is it in a nutshell, but how I would relate to it is the fact that 
as a computer programmer, you know, you're essentially an engineer and an engineer is exists to solve problems and figure out how things work. So when it comes to software development, that's, that's a great skill to have because you're like, okay, I got to figure out where this data comes from, where do I send it to, how do I display it on the user interface, so on and so forth. You're solving all these problems and you're, you're running through all these scenarios in your mind, which is great. When it comes to anxiety, you, that's actually as probably one of the least helpful things that you could do because anxiety, you know, I like to say that anxiety is, is essentially fear, right? It is fear that is oriented toward the future. So it's like something that you're scared about or something that makes you scared that isn't yet here today. And so with emotions, right, you can't, you can't really get rid of, like, you can't think your way through an emotion. You can only allow it to, you can think about it and you can cause it to expand or you can allow it to move through you, right? If, if you're sad and you cry and you don't resist that sadness, eventually it moves through you. The same thing with fear, right? If you don't like focus on it and fixate on it, eventually something happens, either your body, you know, kind of comes out of its fight or flight state or something like that. And you eventually that, that fear moves through you. But if you just sit there and cycle over your fear and constantly try to nitpick it and figure out how you can quote unquote solve it, you're going way down into that abyss or the rabbit hole, whatever we want to call it, right? So one thing that I learned in my own experiences was that that critical thinking aspect, that that skill that is so important in the work world really hampers me uh, or, or has hampered me in the past in my social lives, my dating life, everything outside of the office, right? Because it's like I find I, I, I see a problem, aka anxiety, and I'm trying to solve it. But it's very hard to solve because it's just an emotion. And so a lot of the work that I have done, especially you'll see in like in that first book, is just getting to the point of, of making this distinction and being able to say, look, those skills, critical thinking skills, great in the office, great for developing software, got you to some really good places. Those same skills applied in different situations, a.k.a. social situations, a.k.a. being, AKA being out on a date, preparing for an interview or something do not serve you. And so rounding back to the idea of a toolkit, it is basically having a lot of different tactics and strategies at your disposal and knowing which ones work in the right situations. Because there, let's face it, there's a lot of different things that bring us anxiety and not all of those strategies apply in the same situation. You had said, uh, for example, in the corporate world, right? We don't want to let people see us sweat. So if we, you know, I, I could say to myself, uh, you know, Okay, two of my favorite strategies for anti-anxiety are deep breathing and reciting a mantra. If I break out into mantra speak in the middle of a, a corporate presentation, that's not good, right? So it's all about figuring out which of those strategies work in certain situations. Yes. So that's what I was going to ask you next. Can you just give almost like a little bit of a list of some things that work for you? Or that you yeah, like. so so I, I gave a couple there, right? Um, so deep breathing, right? It's sort of the the thought behind it. It's it's not rocket science, but the thought behind it is, you know, when you are anxious and when you are fearful, your fight or flight system revs up, and you want to get that system to calm down, to sort of just power down, shut down, whatever it is, ramp back down. A lot of downwards there. Um, how we do that, right? How do we how do we accelerate that process? Is by is by breathing deeply. Uh, scientifically speaking, I guess when we breathe in, we accelerate our heart rates a little bit. And then when we breathe out, we cause our heart rate to go down a little bit. And so it's, it's almost as if, you know, you activate the fight or flight system a little bit on the way in, and then you activate what is called the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, it's, it's opposite on the way out. And so it's like, if you are hyperventilating and you're not getting a full breath in, then you're not going to be able to get a full breath out and you're not going to get that parasympathetic activation. So on the breathing front, you know, I, 
it's funny because I will say to people like, hey, deep breathing, it's so important, yada, yada. And they're like, dude, like, don't tell me to breathe. I know, I, I know I'm supposed to do that or whatever. And I, I get it. I totally get it. I'm not trying to be, you know, Captain Obvious here. All I'm trying to say is like, there, there's definitely some science there that, that helps us make that strategy a little bit more approachable and be like, oh, okay, I'm willing to do it because it's going to help me in that regard. It's not just somebody trying to be glib or flippant to me and say, like, dude, you got to breathe, you know? Um, so that's one strategy I really like. And the nice thing about that, right, is when we are, when our minds are moving really quickly, our, our logic centers go offline. So the ability to think clearly, like you said, right, it's like you're in, you're in front of that that, uh, you know, you're in the boardroom or whatever it is, giving that corporate presentation and you get tunnel vision or you kind of black out, you don't remember what happens, both the memory centers and the sort of ability to, uh, the ability to perform logic turn off in our minds. And, and that's by design, right? So it's like, you think about the fight or flight system, it is designed to get us out of stressful and life-threatening situations. Uh, like we could go into evolutionary psychology for a minute, but basically, right, it's like you, you, you go back in time 100,000 years, our ancestors are living in forests and on the savanna and whatnot, and there's a saber-toothed tiger in front of them. A lot of people give this example. Um, unfortunately, the slowest of us were probably, you know, eaten by the tiger. So the ability to discern when we are up against life-threatening situations or, or uh, just threat, threats in general, and then take action and run away from those threats or fight them is something that helped us sort of persist, right? The sort of the, to the, for the, uh, the gene pool uh, to, to carry on our lineages to, to keep living long enough for us to be here. Um, one, I guess, excuse me, I kind of feel like I lost my place there for a second. Um, <laughs> so, so the, the uh, I guess going back to the logic piece, right? Is like, so it's, it's great that we have this ability in us where it's like, okay, our logic can shut off when we are in front of a threat and we can escape it as quickly as possible. Because if that logic were still online, we'd be sitting there being like, is this a good tiger? Is this a bad tiger? And then we might be tiger lunch, you know? So um, I guess by <laughs> design, it's, it's really good that we have that ability in us. The problem is- we that's, now also, face that's also our nervous system shutting down. Um, the, you know, I had someone on who was talking deeply about the vagus nerve, but that's the, you know what I mean? When it, the, that whole thing is it, it, like the self, like, especially when I was saying when people get like in a car accident and they say, I don't remember what happened, something that big happens. It just shuts down to exactly. save you from, and, but anxiety gets so bad and you know, you're with your thoughts and what's going on in the situation that you're in, that it literally can get to that point where it's shut down. And it's not healthy to get like that all the time because exactly. like, it, like I said, it'll wear you out. It can cause illnesses, you know, because you, your, your body, your, your immune system is constantly like shutting down. So, you know, when people have that level of anxiety, I feel for, you know, I've been there and I feel for them going through that, you know? Yeah, I, I absolutely do too. It, it's, you know, again, it's this positive feedback mechanism, or if you will, uh, it's a, it's something, it's something in our bodies that is generally positive. Yet now we find ourselves in all sorts of di different situations that activate that in a less than positive way, right? So what I like to say is our ancestors used to face a lot of tigers in their lives, right? And that, that feedback mechanism or that response to say, I got to, you know, turn on the fight or flight nervous system and get out of here. That was a great thing. Yet today, we don't really face a lot of tigers. We may face proverbial tigers, things that scare us, but very few things that actually threaten our lives, right? And so where I was going with this, with the logic piece is, and, and tying in the breathing is, okay, so when we're all revved up, 
and we're not breathing, we don't have access to that logic piece of our brains. And so being able to say, oh, I now need to go carry out strategy X, Y, or Z, that, that kind of doesn't click in our minds. When we first say, okay, the very first thing I need to do is I need to breathe. We activate that parasympathetic nervous system. The logic in our brains can come back online. And then we say, okay, this isn't necessarily a tiger I'm dealing with. I am scared of it, yes, but it's not going to kill me. Why don't I now go on to step two, step three, so on and so forth. And so I think that encapsulates the breathing part. We spent a good amount of time on that, but a couple different other ideas, right? So um, let me start high level, then we can go to low level. You know, the, the, okay. the name of my brand, Get Out of Your Head, um, basically embodies everything that we just talked about, right? Is like, if you are stewing over something, if you keep chewing it over in your mind, um, you're going to expand that fear, right? You're going to get that feeling stuck in your body and you're going to cause it to propagate. Um, getting out of your head could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. All it means is use some strategy that allows you to reconnect with your body and put down whatever it is that you're chewing over. So um, for me, one of the things that I like, I walk around town a lot. I live in Boston. I probably walk like an hour a day, sometimes two hours a day. And it allows me to kind of stay out of my head, if you will. It's like if it's not always easy for everybody to do this. I think that, you know, when we are scared, we have the propensity to be like, I'm just going to chew over my thoughts and sit on the couch and whatnot. As you get a little bit better, have a little bit more experience with some of these challenging situations, you develop that awareness to say to yourself, oh, I'm going, I'm going back into that place in my mind. I'm doing that thing again. And so what I like to do is just get up off the couch, you know, throw my running shoes on, just go for a 15 minute walk. And I think that a lot of the times what that does is reconnects us back with our bodies, allows that fear to move through us. Um, and then we can come back and we can say, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm out of that mindset, right? I don't have as much of a propensity or an urge to go back and chew that subject over again. Um, so that's kind of the high level there. A couple more low level things that we could talk about um, real quick, I guess. So we, we, we sort of mentioned the idea of, you know, reciting a mantra going into a mantra. So mantra, I kind of just like to say is like a short empowering phrase um, that you could say to yourself. So there's a lot of these that exist online, right? So it could be like, everything's going to be all right. It could be like, I, all I have within uh, uh, everything I need, I have within me now or something like that. Um, things, it's basically just ways of allowing yourself to shift your focus. Um, you're, you know, we're, we're chewing these ideas over, we're stewing them over, stewing over them in our minds. We are fixating on them. We, we just need something to say, hey, look over here. Um, and mantras help us do that. And I think the nice thing about most of the mantras you see online is there's usually like a dash of, you know, positivity or sort of like you got itness to it. So finding your favorite ones, the ones that resonate with you and allow you to, again, get out of your head. Um, I think those can be positive things to use because they, they, they provide you that shift, right? You're, you're over here thinking about, oh my goodness, I have that corporate presentation next week. I'm so scared of it. And then the next thing you know, you're like, oh, okay, if I get in my head, I'm dead. If I get in my head, I'm dead. Like whatever that mantra is, just allowing yourself to really be immersed in that and put that other concern down. Um, the other thing that I guess, you know, we're talking about different strategies, more tactical stuff. Um, the last one that I think I would hit on right now is reminding yourself um, that whatever it is that you're dealing with, it will eventually be over. Uh, it might even be over in short order, right? So I think one of the scariest things about anxiety is it overwhelms us. And we're in the middle of a panic attack or even just an anxious episode, something that's making us really afraid. And it just consumes us in I don't even know if we say it to ourselves consciously, but definitely in the back of our minds, this fear is basically saying, whatever it is that I'm dealing with is going to last forever, right? It's like, I'm going to have that corporate presentation. Uh, it may never arrive. 
Uh, I'm going to do horrible. And then all my colleagues are going to make fun of me for the rest of time. I think when you allow yourself to, you know, sort of put that fear down, right? Take it down a notch and just say, I know how afraid I am of this thing. I know it makes me scared, but that is my fear talking and pop, you know, probably blowing it out of proportion. Um, just being able to reconnect to the fact that eventually this thing is going to go away and we're going to get back to equilibrium that can kind of give us some sort of reassurance or calming uh, effect to just be able to be like, I know I'm afraid right now, but like, it's going to be good. Eventually it might not be good right now, but it will in time. And then, you know, we, we sort of talk about like abysses and what I would call a downward spiral. Right. Um, some people will say we got to put ourselves in an upward spiral and that would be great if we could get there. I mean, if we could just be neutral or baseline, that would be great too. But I think these things build upon themselves, right? Everything that we're talking about is something of a feedback loop. Uh, people might say a positive feedback loop. All that means is that whatever you're, you're doing influences uh, you to do that thing yet again. So if you say to yourself like, hey, this thing is eventually going to pass and I'm going to feel better. By just saying that to yourself, you then feel a little bit better. And then the next strategy that you carry out, you're like more willing uh, to perform that sort of thing, right? And then you're just kind of building this ladder, if you will. It doesn't necessarily always go that well or that smoothly, but that is sort of the, 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 the general approach that we're after. So those are some of the ideas that I like to use, the things that I have in my toolkit. Uh, got a bunch of different ones throughout the book, but um, I don't know. I hope that was helpful. It was great. Um, and I, I like that you're just reminding people to um, remember that it's, you know, just that moment in time, it's not going to stick forever. And, you know, be, because I'm, you know, writing a book about healing suicidal ideation, that's something that, you know, people, they get stuck on something um, and they really feel like it's like going to stay forever, you know, or that it can't ever come unglued or, or, you know, there's a death they can feel like a literal spiritual or egoic death is happening. And, and it's so scary. And they, they know rebirth is on the other end, but that time between death and rebirth is so scary and you don't know what's going to happen. And that, that little space, just to understand that that little space is there for you to grow. And, um, that, you know, the self-soothing techniques, um, whether they, whatever they are that we, we talk about them a lot on our different channels, whether it's exercise or calming music or calling a friend and having your safety net around you or petting your animals to calm you down or going on a walk. There's just a million of them. And thank you so much, um, for, you know, uh, putting yourself out there and, you know, writing this book, we have volume one and volume two of get out of your head. I love the artwork is very Massachusetts. <laughs> Thank right. You. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, we live on the coast. Um, yeah. Especially yeah. with the lighthouse. Yeah. One of my friends who I used to work with did that um, just really wanted to get the symbolism going. So I appreciate you, you calling that out. Yeah. And, you know, being in the middle of an, I call sometimes um, when we're stuck in emotion, uh, emotion, like oh, I call it the ocean of emotions. You know, and that's also something that causes a really big anxiety is just like, oh, here we go. And then there we are, you know, so I like that your little symbolism there. So um, it's been a joy to meet with you and to talk with you today. And um, I will link everything into um, the bios to get a hold of Brian or myself. And um, we just wish everybody, uh, you know, a happy life and, you know, coming out if you have any questions about anxiety or any comments, please um, put them below and um, we'll reply. And thank you so much, Brian, for your time today. Thanks, Gina. It was a, a fun conversation.
Okay. Many blessings, everybody. This is Gina, Liberated Healer. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us online at theliberatedhealer.com, on Instagram at Liberated Healer Podcast, or on Facebook at The Liberated Healer. Give us a follow, subscribe, send us a message if you so feel, and thank you for your support. Yes.